Hey fellow nerds, I'm Megan Smiley, and this is the Lawyer's Escape Pod. For those of you who've gotten into practice, looked around, and thought, so this is my life? I get it. You're in deep, and you feel stuck. You may have no idea what the next step would be, or maybe you have an idea, but think it's unrealistic. I truly believe that there's a path forward for each of us if we're intentional about finding it. And this podcast will be a great source of advice and inspiration for you to make that leap to a more fulfilling career. Let's go. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Really glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So I start by asking everyone the same question, which is what made you go to law school in the first place? Oh, um, so I'm going to start a little bit before that. I was in college. Um, I wanted to be a writer. Um, I preferably, I was really thinking about being a creative writer. Um, I ultimately wanted to write a fantasy or sci-fi book. I was big and still am actually a fantasy and sci-fi reader. Um, but I was also experimenting in screenplays. Um, and I was just really looking to get into that field. Um, but I had a lot of pressure, um, mainly from my dad at the time, uh, about, you know, what would that financially look like for me in life? Um, my parents were both immigrants. Um, they came to America, um, you know, college education and getting a job that makes a lot of money was like really important to them. Um, financial security is very important to them. Um, and so throughout that discourse um, with my father, who meant well, for sure, um, yeah. uh, you know, we decided that, you know, it would be a great hobby, but um, I really needed to focus on a career. Um, and so, you know, really the discussion, discussion, like many discussions, I think, come down to, well, do you want to be a doctor or a lawyer? And I was right. definitely not going to be a doctor. Um, so... I went for the law school route. And um, the way that I thought about it was, you know what? I am going to never leave the love for the arts. And instead, um, I will continue doing what I'm doing through law. And I will protect um, the artists that Mm -hmm. I respect and look up to so deeply. And so I went in really thinking I'm I'm going to be some sort of, you know, entertainment or intellectual property attorney. Um, And so I went, you know, with that idea in mind. Yeah. So what was law school like for you? Uh, interestingly, I, um, I, you know what I am, and I've actually don't think I've ever talked about this on a podcast before, but um, I applied to a bunch of law schools. I actually did really well in college. Um, I had a very high GPA, but I did terribly on the LSAT, which is just exactly what my life looks like. I, I you know, excelled at academics, did very bad on standardized tests. Yeah. Um, so I actually did not get accepted to any law schools except for two that I was waitlisted on and then one that accepted me, um, which was at, at Toro Law. So mm-hmm. I went there in Long Island um, mm-hmm. and it was a wonderful institution. They really um, tried hard to make people feel welcome. They were very new at the time yeah. um, and they were very litigation focused. They were right next to the courts. Um, so my first year of law school was, you know, overwhelming, like I think most people, regardless of where you go. Yeah. Um, but I worked really hard, um, really applied all of my academics Um that I could, like all of my academic um, understanding of how to do well in school that I could. I did very, very well. And then I transferred um, mm-hmm. after one year uh, to Cardozo, where I spent my last two years of law school. Um, it was a huge shift, uh, very different culture, very different experience. Um, yeah. I was in the middle of Manhattan. Um, they were very intellectually pro- property focused, which is the reason why I wanted to go there. Yeah. Um, and I learned a lot. It was really wonderful. Um, and my experience in general was was good. Um, I made a lot of really good friends that I have till today. Um, and I felt definitely very challenged academically there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think overall my law school experience was was pretty good. Yeah. 
And so, and you were able to sort of tailor your studies to IP. So was, did that translate into what you did after you graduated? So I was able to tailor, I mean, I had way more options as far as the type of courses that I took. I I can still remember this one course that I took. It was um, intellectual property transactions course, which like who I I just like couldn't believe that there was a course like that where it was a managing partner at a firm who came and just taught us how to write different types of intellectual property contracts. It was so hands-on. It was so wonderful. Um, But, uh, you know, I guess, you know, to speak a little bit to what didn't work for me in law school was... Um, none of, I couldn't get jobs. Like I, um, I couldn't get a job after my first year of law school. I couldn't get a job or paying job rather after my first year or my second year, I did unpaid internships in areas that were not at all what I wanted to do, but I wanted to get some sort of experience. So I did unpaid internships for both of those years, um, including a full internship in my third year, which I finally got an intellectual property one. I actually interned at the Harry Fox agency, which was fantastic experience, but all of them unpaid. Um, And then when I graduated, which many people who graduated in 2010 know, um, it was a recession. There were no jobs. um, And I ended up not being able to get into any field that I was interested in and ended up taking a job because I needed money. Um, uh, And I became a landlord tenant attorney uh, in the Bronx. Yeah. So how, how did that go? (laughs) Um, (laughs) You sound really excited about it. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, yeah, I mean, so here's the, here's the thing. Um, It was very difficult uh, because of three different reasons. One, uh, it was not what I wanted to do. Right. Um, Two, landlord tenant litigation in general, and especially in New York city is a very volume-based business um, where you are you are given sometimes caseloads of you know ten to fifteen to twenty cases per day. Yeah. Um, I was on the landlord side, so I was representing landlords, and my job was you know to evict people from their homes. Yeah. So um, that did not sit very well with me, but I also um, understood, um, you know, the position of the clients that we were representing and that they, you know, were not getting paid and things of that nature. Um, So I tried very hard to be the best lawyer that I could and understand that this was a learning opportunity. I I did enjoy that I got to be in the courtroom right away. Um, I was arguing cases. Uh, The judges knew me. I was there every single day. I got very comfortable in the courtroom. and I got to meet a lot of different. There's, a, it's very close knit in the landlord tenant courts. Everybody yeah. knows each other. All the, it's all the same law firms representing the landlords. It's all the same law firms or uh, you know agencies that are representing right. the tenants. Um, so there was, it, it becomes close knit and it becomes very interesting to like learn about everybody that's doing that. But ultimately, it was not for me. Um, I didn't, I didn't like evicting people from their homes, um, and a lot of the times. Um, it was very mentally taxing on me. Um, and I, I, I really had to try hard to remind myself how important it was to be a good advocate for my client while also ensuring that I maintained um, the tenant side, the respect and integrity they deserved, even though they were getting um, evicted from their homes. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that sounds like a, a tough practice area. Yeah, it was. Particularly since it wasn't what you, you know, and this is something I hear a lot is like, you know, I went to law school with one idea and I came out doing something entirely different. So I guess I wouldn't be surprised that I didn't like it. Right. You know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so what was your thought process then? 
Right. So um, it's funny. I was. I remember I was in this uh, the small room in the courtroom that was reserved for lawyers, and I was in there, and I remember one of the attorneys um, from another firm actually saying to me, "You know, get out. You need to get out as 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 fast as you can. <laughs> you need to not do this. I've been doing this for twenty years, and I will tell you right now." It is not good for the soul, right? Uh, and I remember looking at her, and I was still a newbie attorney, and I was oh, trying gosh. so hard. And she, I, I honestly, I I thank her in my yeah, head I was a lot say. <laughs> because she was really honest with me, and she was almost, you know, there was a part of me, my instincts were telling me this wasn't like the right um, fit for me. Yeah. Um, and I, I really took it to heart, and I started to really think about, okay, like what else can I do in the practice of law that would better serve me? Um. And so I started looking for more work, um, uh, but I couldn't find it because it was still really hard to yeah. find a job. Um, I was also getting paid very, very little. Um, right. I had no insurance, like no health insurance. I wasn't given any benefits of any kind. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I was a very low salary. I was actually making less money after law school than I was before law school. Um, and uh, so – and I <laughs> – I've actually told the story before, but like I actually had to negotiate a Metro card because I was like, if I don't actually get my train ride paid for, right. then I probably am losing money on this job. Um, and so, <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. um, I did negotiate the Metro card, which I'm very proud of. Good. And um, but ultimately, I found another job at a firm. They also did not hire me um, on as a full time employee. They were actually hiring. A lot of attorneys at the time on a contract basis, um, yeah. and a lot of people were doing that at yeah. the time because it was easy to find attorneys. Yeah. So again, no vacation, no benefits, um, very low hourly rate. Um, and it was kind of the same thing. It wasn't landlord-tenant, but it was tax lien foreclosures. So yeah. I was still representing, you know, the – like I was basically still kicking people out of the right, house. Right, and, right. Um, and I was just doing it in a way where – the law was more on our side because it was very statutory based type of um, law. Yeah. Um, so I did that for a while. Also just really, really hard. Um, not just because of the, the, like the actual type of work I was doing, but also just feeling like I never truly belonged at the firm. I was not invited to like firm events um, because I wasn't an, a full-time employee. Right. You know, there was no track for me. There was no future for me. I didn't feel like I got a lot of mentoring. I was just thrown into court, you know, every day. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of training. So I was just really, I was starting to feel really, really sad about the whole situation. I was just like, okay. And I, I and you know, for me at the time, I was like, this is just a terrible climate. Um, yeah. This is no one's fault. This is not yeah. your fault. This is not anyone's fault. Um that's you know, impressive that you were able to say that to yourself because, of course, that's true, but it's not easy in the moment. Yeah, it, and it, it it wasn't, but it was it was the only way to yeah, survive yeah. and feel like I had control. So I was like, it's I mean, I, it's weird because I was like not having feeling like I didn't have control actually made me feel like more in control. So I, yeah, I, I you know, and then I still kept looking because I was like, I need to find something that pays me more that I, I actually graduated um, college and law school completely on my own. I had no financial help. So I was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Yeah. Um, and I was having trouble even like paying my rent, you know, a couple of noodles, whole deal. Right. And so I, um, I found Law Line, which is, uh, you know, they had a job posting for a program attorney, found them on LinkedIn. This is like almost 10 years ago. Um, and uh, applied for the job, and I got it, and I have been at Lawline ever since. Wow! Mm -hmm. So, 
what was the job that you initially had at Lawline? So the job I initially applied for is a program attorney position, which we still have these positions here today. Um, And basically what it is, is Lawline is an online provider of continuing legal education across the country. Um, We're primarily online, so um, no real live events, things of that nature, although we did do some pre-pandemic, but mostly our big business model was online. Yeah. Um, And uh, lawyers throughout the country uh, volunteer their time to speak with us because we have a very large... um, lawyer base. And uh, my role was to identify the right legal topics that I think would best serve the lawyer audience that we had and ensure that they were continuing their legal education to be the best practitioner they could be. So I would identify those topics. I'd think about and research who would be the best person to teach those programs. And then I would reach out to them, have a conversation and help facilitate the CLE program um, all the way from its inception and its brainstorming stage all the way through um, the production of it and putting it online. Yeah. Sounds a little bit like what I did at the law, at the law school, actually. Oh, right. That's awesome. <laughs> um, Very cool. Um, but so you're not practicing law, right? So was that, was there any sort of process in your mind of leaving practice per se, or were you like, well, I'm still using all of my sort of law muscles in this right. job and that's good enough for me? Yeah, I think when I, you know, to be, to really think back, this is like 10 years ago, but I think when I first moved to Lawline, I always had a glimmer of hope that I would one day return to practice. I was like, you know what, you know, I don't want to abandon it. It, Listen, it was only, it was less than two years I was practicing before I found Lawline, right? So I wasn't practicing for very long and I had spent a lot of money on being a lawyer. (laughs) I invested a lot of money and time in that, right? Yeah. Um, And so I... I did have a glimmer of hope that it would one day go back to that. And I did think that Lawling would serve me well in the sense that um, I was meeting a lot of attorneys. And so yeah. therefore I would learn from them and create the connections that would potentially allow, give me the path to go back there. Yeah. Um, I was using my legal mind in the sense that I was, you know, I was learning about so many different types of law and I was speaking to so many different attorneys about their challenges and their struggles and the things that they needed to know. I was learning so much about case updates. Um, And, you know, I was doing some at the very beginning, I was doing some contract work, you know, things of that nature, you know, helping the, helping the the law line in general do contracts and things of that nature. Um, But over time that kind of went away and I really focused on the content and I just really loved the culture. And I, I saw what, I started to see what belonging looked like at an organization that I really connected with. And I, I, that slowly kind of started to fade away. And then I realized, you know what, I, I, I don't think I really want to practice. Yeah. Yeah. So how did your career then evolve at Lawline? Yeah, so I it, it, it's interesting. So I, I worked as a program attorney for, you know, a relatively short period of time bringing in programs in, of that nature. And I started to quickly identify ways in which um, the content part of the business could um, improve. And I started to create processes and um, really started to... Uh, like elevate um, how we were doing programs, why we were doing programs, who we were asking to do our programs, how many programs we should really be doing, mm-hmm. um, what kind of audiences are are the core audiences we want to be targeting, and and how do we make sure that we're maintaining good relationships with the regulatory bodies and making sure that we're abiding by the rules um, in the highest standard possible 
to ensure that we're fulfilling the needs that the states want for their attorneys. Mm-hmm. And as I started doing that, like everything just started to grow and move and we started to hire more people. And I was um, promoted um, to the vice president of content where I got to manage a, a team that was basically um, able to execute um, on the strategies that I was putting in place. So I did that for a very long time. And as I started to do that, I started to see the connections throughout the entire organization. I started to see how important it was for me to better understand the technology aspects of the business and how they could be improved and the marketing aspects of the business and the financials. And I just really, really became super curious about it all and yeah. and became almost a in-house consultant to other departments um, to help them improve their processes and get things in order um, in addition to my own job. And over that time, the CEO, um, David Sturman, um, really recognized my efforts um, and uh, promoted me back in 2000, I guess, 18. He promoted me, or 2017, I think, actually. He promoted me to the chief operating officer of Longline. Um, So I got to run the entire business, which was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously not by myself, but with the help of an amazing team of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was an interesting time. I mean, for three years, I was leading the entire company. Our, the CEO actually moved to Barcelona for two of those years um, while I was doing that. And, and he was still like very involved, but um, you know, I, I felt, you know, really, really, um, I felt really excited with the autonomy I was given yeah. uh, during those that time. Um, also during that time, I I got married, I had two kids, um, and then the pandemic hit. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I think between starting a family and the pandemic, and the you know the weight of the entire company on my shoulders um, is what really made me reassess, you know, okay, what, what am I doing? What is important to me right now? And, and how do I make sure that I'm really continuing on the path that I want for my life? Um, That all made me reassess in April of this year, 2021, uh, to, to lead, to resign from the COO position um, and to really start this new role for myself, which um, I feel so absolutely blessed that um, the CEO allowed for me to do and design yeah. this role for me, which is the chief storyteller of Lowline. Yeah. Wow. This is so interesting. So one thing I just sort of want to highlight is it, it's, I mean, obviously you sort of built out a set of, of skills and talents to be, you know, to be a CEO of anything, right. Is like, you know, that's not what we're trained to do in law school, no, obviously. Right. <laughs> um, and so I just like to highlight for people that it's, you know, people will be like, oh, I can't go be a COO of something. It's like, yes, you can, but maybe you just start sort of, you know, in those program manager position and mm-hmm. then you move up mm-hmm. if it's the right institution. Right. Absolutely. Um, but there's also this, this dynamic of type A achiever, you know, climbing to the top of something and then realizing whether it's COO of this company or, you know, partner at a law firm of, did I climb a mountain I didn't mean to climb? Right. (laughs) Is that what it sort of felt like? It did. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, I was very, very excited when I got the role. Um, I think that uh, actually, to your point, I think there were a lot of skills that got me to the COO role that were very much, I think, 
being a lawyer really helped me with organization, being able to read things and understand them very quickly, being, you know, all of that yeah. comprehension, leadership. There's a lot there that helped me get there. Um, however, I did climb a mountain. I didn't mean to climb. Um, yeah. Because if we go back to the beginning of this story, I, I always wanted to be a writer. Um, I always wanted to right. create. And um, and I I was not doing that anymore. I was I was delegating and I was, you know, doing operations and I was creating processes. And those are creations in, in and of themselves in, in different ways for sure, but not the type of creative kind yeah. of path that I was looking for. And I had gotten really far away from that, like yeah. completely far away from it. And I, even within the COO role, I was trying to always grasp for, for time to like write that email that, you know, from, from either the CEO of myself to the world to tell our story or, you know, to be on that podcast to like help people understand and, and help people um, grow and learn. You know, I mean, to me, the ability to create content that helped others, that was really what was always um, most satisfying for me. And I definitely wasn't doing that anywhere yeah. near as much as I wanted to while I was COO. Yeah. So it's amazing that you worked at a place, you just sort of pitched them this, did you sort of sit down and say, this is really what I want to do? Can we create a spot for me? Yeah. So, um, I, so back in April, I, I am, I'm, you know, I'll share that I, I actually had a seizure. Um, and, um, it was really scary. Um, I was diagnosed with a seizure disorder, um, and I am on medication for it and I am totally stable now. Um, but in that time, um, like many people who I think experience something from a health perspective that makes you feel like maybe life is short. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course. I, I really had to take a step back and, 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 and it really forced me to think about like, okay, life is short. Like it's very, very important, um, that you focus on the things that are important to you. And I was very, very burnt out. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I clearly have a diagnose, like a, a, like a, like a diagnosis of a seizure disorder, but my seizure disorder specifically is triggered by immense stress of the oh. mind and body. I have a lower threshold than other people in this world. Um, to have a seizure when under immense stress physically and mentally. And I think I, I think between work and parenting with two, two toddlers at home yeah. during a pandemic, during a just, pandemic. it broke yeah, me. Yeah, that'll, it just that'll broke do me. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so um, I think, you know, to really speak to Law Lines leadership, you know, they really, really wanted to make sure, to make sure that one, they, I was never going to be penalized for something that happened to me health-wise, right? Yeah. Two, I think they were really, really eager to show how much they believed in anything that I would do for the company by, yeah. by allowing me this option to design my own role. Yeah. Um, and in many ways, they really encouraged me um, to do this, right? They were like, you know, you have your job if you want it, but please don't leave. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, stay with us and like – we, we appreciate everything that you've done for us and we want to help you, right? Like we want to help wow. you during this very difficult time that you're going through. And this is not a standard story I hear from people. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's extraordinary. Yeah. It is. And it's extraordinary because, you know, I think it was maybe 
it was either Netflix, I think it was Netflix or some other large organization that said this once. And, and it, we, we learned it uh, in some sort of learning environment that we had at Lawline. And it says, if you expect your employees to stick with you, even in hard times, even when revenue is low, even when things are tough, right? Then you have to stick by your employees through their hard times, yeah. right? And they really, really did that. Yeah. <laughs> like Lawline really stuck with me through a hard time. And I had really stuck with them through a really hard time, yeah. you know, through, through many times, many growth spurts, many mistakes, many things that were difficult throughout the time that I was working there. And they were, they were doing the same. And I think that's what a true business relationship looks like, right? Yeah. Um, when you can recognize that back and forth. Yeah. So what is the role that you designed for yourself? So my role is the chief storyteller of Lawline, um, and basically, um, still figuring out what that means exactly. But, um, <laughs> but really, you know, the way that I thought about it was, you know, there are we have a marketing team, right? And this marketing team is very, very good at say at telling the world what we do, right? Um, however, I think it's sometimes difficult um, to articulate why we do the things we do and how we do the things they do and how they differentiate us from other yeah. um, other organizations like ourselves. And so for me, I felt like, how do I position my role to really help tell Lawline's story, why we do the things we do, why it's important to us? We're not just here uh, as a for-profit business, right? Yeah. Um, we are here because we truly believe in helping attorneys. And why do we truly believe that? Because we believe that an attorney's role in society is important. And they provide the access to justice that that clients need. Um, And so there is really a larger heart and soul and mission underneath Lawline that doesn't always get told. Um, And I feel like it's my role to let people know that this is who we are. And if you're somebody that aligns with that belief system, we're probably the right fit for you. Yeah. Yeah. And are you finding that it scratches your sort of creative writing itch? Absolutely. Um, So, you know, I've been writing a lot about the courses that we're doing, about the people um, that work with us, you know, internally, the the, the faculty that work with us. Um, But also creatively, I've been, you know, I'm I'm very, like, probably within a month or two, um, starting in February, actually, February 1st is our launch date. Hopefully it sticks to that. Um, we're starting a podcast, Lawyers Who Lead, and that podcast will be really focusing on really the lawyers that are challenging the notion that the law lags behind, the people that are really kind of pushing forward in their leadership positions and making meaningful change in the legal industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get to do what we're doing right now. You know, I get to talk to really interesting people that are passionate about what they do and that are intentional about doing positive things to help change the world for for good. And um, so that part is very, very exciting for me as well. Yeah, yeah. And you, I mean, that sounds fun because you get to sort of handpick the people doing the interesting stuff at law firms rather than right. just the standard boring... <laughs> entrenched stuff at law firms (laughs) exactly exactly and to me um and to me i think it's it it's it's even it's even more important to find the people that are that are trying to help make all of those other lawyers that are entrenched in those things lives better right and the leadership of of those people to not only be outward facing Mm -hmm. uh, uh, how do we make our clients happy right how do we make you know, 
how do we make money, right? Or how do we do those things? But how do I like from within help improve things for everybody that touches my organization, right? Yeah. And and if and, and I and they exist, they they absolutely exist, and yeah. those people are incredible to me, especially considering the the, the experiences I've had I've had in practice before coming to Longland were not that. Yeah. Um, and so I have a very, yeah. I have a very, very big desire to showcase those people um, because that's what I have now at Lawline. And I know they exist at other law firms and I want to be able to celebrate those people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think, I think there is this movement of progress and, you know, caring about, you know, good leadership, you know, law firms are not historically known for management and leadership because mm-hmm. they're just a sort of a many headed monster. Right. Um, but I think with sort of all of the mental health issues and wellness issues and, and burnout issues that are really coming to the, to the forefront and everything that's happened in the pandemic, I think there is, there is the space for evolving sort of the structure, not maybe quickly, but I, my hat is off to the people doing that work because I'm like, I'm going to be over here ditching that problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can help. If, if you're just like, mm, I don't want to wait around to fix this, that's for me. Right. But, but I but I really do admire the people that are like sticking with the trenches and, and improving it from the inside. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that, you know, part of doing that is also recognizing that it's not just the lawyers or the partners at large law firms or the solo practitioners or anyone in the traditional practice, right? There are a lot of them as well, but there are so many other types of ways that lawyers could practice or stay law adjacent Yeah, in a much, in, in, in places where people are really thinking deeply about how to keep and retain good talent and not, and not, and not really just like kind of, throw them away, which is a lot right, of, right. a lot of the feeling that I had when I was, I just felt very, I mean, that's the unseen. culture everywhere. It's just yeah. you're very disposable. Even, even when yeah. like you're well-liked, I think, mm-hmm. and like va- mm-hmm. you quote unquote valued. I just think that is just the business model of, of law firms. Um, and you get outside that industry and you realize, oh, this is not how everything is done in the world. And you get so myopic because of just the world that you live in when you're mm-hmm. a lawyer in a firm and that it's, you don't believe that places like Lawline with that kind of management even really exist. <laughs> yeah. And it, it it was a shock to me when I first started. Um, but then once I started working there, I started to see all these other organizations that we were talking to or, you know, speaking with. And it, and it does exist. It's just, it was just, it's just hard to find, but it is getting better. And the legal industry is large. Yep. It's not just law firms. It's not just law firms anymore. It's, it's more than that, right? It's legal tech companies. It's, it's legal marketing companies. It's, I mean, there's so much opportunity to be law adjacent and to really still utilize like everything that we love or loved or wanted to love about the law um, while, while abandoning the other things. And I think that law firms are starting to realize that, that there is much more opportunity and there is, it's, it's a much harder, um, time to retain good talent or even get good talent to begin with yeah. because people have a lot more choices. They are more aware of the choices that they have these days. Yeah. And uh, so they got to do something. And also their clients are demanding it, right? Their clients are saying, look, like, what are you doing about 
creating a more inclusive environment? What right. are you doing about the wellness of your attorneys? You know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and there are, there are clients that are taking really hard stances, like, like docking people's, you know, like fees and things of that nature, if they're not seeing the change that they want to affect or, you know, leaving altogether. And so law firms, I think are under an immense amount of pressure to really kind of adapt and evolve. And, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how this Yeah, it's interesting out. because yeah. it's just not an industry that, that changes quickly, mm-hmm. you know, but I do think it is, you know, slow wheels of change are in motion. Yeah, absolutely. Um. I agree. <laughs> so, you know, and I think it's what really I love about sort of what you've carved out for yourself is that you really went back to the drawing board and were like, what? what is it that I really love to do? And is there a way that I can express that more in this environment and Mm -hmm. advocating for yourself to do that? Right. Mm -hmm. It's the storytelling stuff that you, that really is like kind of your, your love. It sounds like. Yeah, it is. And I, I think, I think when you, when you finally feel that in your heart, like when you finally have come to the end, sometimes it takes like something like for me, which was like a, you know, an illness, right? Yeah. Um, I like to get there and, and I, I, I wish upon everyone to not let it get to I that know. point. Um, <laughs> right. But, um, yeah. but I, I think, you know, once you find what makes your, and it sounds a little cheesy, but like what makes your heart sing, like you yeah. have to listen. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, you have totally. to listen. It's so, it's such a gift when you actually, when you actually hear it and when you, when you actually finally know. Yeah. Um, and it took a really long time. I was many years confused about what, what it was that I was supposed to do. And, and, and I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll experience that again. I mean, that is life, right? Yeah. But, um, it will evolve, but it, yeah. It, right. But I think at the end of the day, like when you feel it, you have to listen and there are opportunities to do that. Um, and there are many people that are looking for that stuff. So it's just, it's just a matter of really just leaning in and, and, and it's scary, but yeah, I think, you know, you, you only live once. You got You got to try. You yeah. have to. Yeah, exactly. And I think there are a lot of people out there that have that kind of, yeah, there's like that voice in their head and they're like, no, no, that, what does that even, like, what does a job as a storyteller mean, for example, right? Right. You know, and it's Mm -hmm. like, you just have to think creatively about whether it's a, there is something you can carve out at a job or if it's something that you go off and do on your own, but to not dismiss it out of hand just because it's unfamiliar in the context of like law. Right. Exactly. That's so true. It, it, it really is. And that's something that I think when I first graduated law school, I had no idea about, right? Like I did not yeah. understand what else there was out there for me. You either yeah. litigate or you draft contracts. Like that is your world and you're either at a large firm or you're at a small firm and right. or you go out on your own, right? And and uh, there was, I just didn't have any comprehension of how big of an opportunity I had to do other things yeah. besides just the traditional practice. And now more than ever, lawyers are becoming way more business savvy. They're becoming way more in need of technology, way more in need of creative services, way more in need of wellness services, um, way more in need of financial services. I mean, you name it, they're a business, right? And like, you can literally find, you can find a way if you wanted to be law adjacent to continue to help serve that industry. Yeah, absolutely. So looking back, if, to someone that's sort of struggling with thinking they, they might want to take a leap out of the law. What is sort of a piece of one, you know, 
piece of advice that you would give them? Yeah, I mean, I think, like we said, there's an entire market out there. So um, you can, there's definitely opportunity if you wanted to stay law adjacent. Um, However, I think the most important thing is to remember that I just said before life is short, but now I'm going to say life is long. Yeah. And um, and if, if we're lucky, right? And uh, so if we're lucky, life is long. And that means that you can change. That means you can be many things in life. And don't let the idea that you went to law school and invested a lot of money, like I did, um, stop you from changing course if that's what your heart is telling you to do. Um, Obviously, you should be thoughtful about the decisions you make. You know, don't be rash. Um, Sit down, take pen to paper, think about it, right? But I think at the end of the day, there is so much fear around, well, this is what I said I was going to do. How do I change now? And that is just not a compelling argument. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's such good advice. And it really resonates with me because when I was thinking of, of leaving, you know, nine years into working at the law school, I was like, well, I can't, I'm too old now. I can't change. But I was like, but that means I'm here for another, like, what, 20 to 30 years? Like, that's a long time. A very long time. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I, I think that, you know, I talk to a lot of different people and, and a lot of different people that are former lawyers as well. And, you know, it varies when people leave, right? Like, yeah. I, I am definitely on the, the shorter end of things. Like, I yeah. left, you know, under two years of practice. There are people that leave at five, at 10, mm-hmm. at 20 years of practice. The people that leave at those 10 and 20 years, the biggest, the, the, the most consistent thing I hear every single time is I wish I did this sooner. Yeah. So uh, another yeah. piece of advice is just don't wait. If yeah. you're unhappy, if this is not what's for you, don't wait. Just yeah. go. Just do yeah. it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really interesting conversation. If people wanted to find you, where's the best place to do that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, People can actually connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, My name is Seagal Barnes. Um, There's not many of my name out there, so I should be pretty easy to find. Um, And I'm always happy to make new connections um, on there. Yeah. And the podcast that you're going to be starting is called? Lawyers Who Lead. Um, And that should be launching on February 1st. um, And it will be on all the major um, stations. So definitely check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sigal, for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Megan, it's always been such a pleasure. I really get a lot of fun.